0: One thing I always liked about that song is that the the music fits the lyric. I mean, you just feel the pressure. And the Atlanta Falcons and some other NFL teams are feeling the pressure from the Steelers, who lead the NFL in sacks. And one of their players, T.J. Watt, is tied for the lead in sacks with six. How important is pressure to a winning team? Let me amend that. How important is pressure to a championship team? The numbers don't always correlate. Great sack numbers to a Super Bowl. Is the Steelers' pressure enough to cover for what most people believe to be a suspect secondary, or is the secondary, at least on Sunday, at least partially responsible for the Steelers' pass rushers Getting home, as they say. Getting to the quarterback. We'll be discussing that. Also, uh, Jerry Dulac will join us today at uh, 1 p.m. Antonio Brown is in some trouble. The difference this time, I mean, a lot of the things that he's done have been locker room things, on the field things, for all his antics, and there are many, he's never done anything, at least as far as we know, that is against the law. It might be against football law and locker room law, but not against the law. But he may have crossed that line, at least allegedly so. And I don't know that it'll end up in any kind of punishment from the NFL. I look at things like that, and this is just my perspective on it. While I certainly don't condone his behavior, my job is to analyze the team, its performance, offer commentary based on that. And while I don't condone those things, don't support those things, I don't take it personally or let it affect my analysis. Just the way I'm wired. Olimata appears like he will take a seat in the press box tomorrow night. Yuso Rikula was on the second power play unit at practice this morning. That is a Penguin story. The bigger Penguin story, of course, is what you heard Mike Sullivan say just moments ago about the concussion involving... Matt Murray. We don't know how long, but we know that it can be a very long time. Players suffering from concussions, and it is concerning that that's his third one, and he's just 24 years of age. We're going to discuss that today with Josh Yoey. Josh has covered the Penguins for a number of years for a number of different outlets, but he's now with The Athletic Pittsburgh. He's one of the best hockey writers in Pittsburgh. And Josh, today at 1220, and every Wednesday thereafter will be joining me to talk Penguins hockey. Josh will be a regular guest in his first. He's been on a zillion times before. But regularly, generally Wednesdays at 1220, he'll be joining me as well. And so the Red Sox eliminate the Yankees. The Red Sox are the better team. The better team, I think, in each series is one. But... I don't know, to me, rooting for either the Red Sox or Yankees would be like choosing between having a toothache or an infected fingernail. Uh, Neither is terribly appealing. So my question to you, we'll get to that in the 1 o'clock hour, is there a team left among the four that you're rooting for? Or will you watch MMA instead or something? 412-922-2874, 412-922-2874, pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, Stan Savard, at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Saverin on sports, or tweet. at Stan, love the show. We've got a trivia question today. It involves the baseball playoffs, past baseball playoffs. Let me start with the Steelers sack machine. T.J. Watt, by the way, has been named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week for the second time this year. The first time was in the opening game against Cleveland when he also had three sacks. Six sacks tied for the league lead with Geno Atkins, who has always been a problem for the Steelers. He, of course, will be against the Steelers on Sunday in Cincinnati. And the Watt family has a dozen sacks because J.J. Watt. That should be a question. Who would you rather have, J.J. Watt or T.J. Watt? In any event, J.J. Watt of the Texans has six as well. I don't know. It's concerning that all of Watt's sacks are coming two games. I'd like to see him even it out because, frankly, against Baltimore, I don't think his name was mentioned once in the play. But a big game against Atlanta. And the Steelers now have 19 sacks. In five games, they are on pace to set their all-time single-season record for sacks. And you remember last year, they set the team record with 56. They're on pace for 62. How important is that? Well, a pass rush, of course, is important. But I found this interesting, and I full disclosure, the Post-Gazette had a chart in the paper this morning, and of the top five sack totals for the Steelers in a season, only one resulted in a Super Bowl appearance or victory. That was the first Super Bowl, 1974, Super Bowl Nine. Of the top five single-season sack totals, including last year, only once did it result... In a Super Bowl victory or end up in a Super Bowl victory, which I find interesting. I mean, it's more than just about sacks. I mean, you'd like them, but last year they had 56 sacks. And yes, they were 13 and three, but I think we'd all agree that the defense was substandard. So just sacks by themselves, that doesn't mean you have a good defense. Now the question is, when you look at this defense, and as I mentioned yesterday, hey, Watt gets a lot of credit. But I also think, I don't know if you agree, Cam Hayward and Stephon Tuitt had their individually best games of the year, sack totals aside. They were very noticeable. And when you're getting that kind of push from your front three, or however many players are from a down stance – That creates lanes for the linebackers to get there. So that's why Tomlin was saying it's a collective effort. It's also a collective effort, and here's here's the question I'm asking. If this pass rush is to be believed in terms not only the amount of sacks, but they really were in Matt Ryan's face and caused him to have to move off his spot and all those kinds of things, is that enough to cover for the secondary? We know this secondary has issues. Will an excellent pass rush, it'll help, but will it help cover for a lot of the deficiencies in the secondary? Or let me throw a second thing at you. A lot was said, and deservedly so, about the performance of Joe Hayden. Absolutely. But let's also remember, as I talked to you yesterday... It's not only about taking the top receiver out of the game, which Hayden did, but who are your second and third guys? And Atlanta's are very good. I think that's part of the issue with the Steeler offense. Second guy, Juju's fine, but who's that third guy? Falcons have some real weapons there. And the other guys in the secondary, I think, did a tremendous job. Not just Julio Jones, but, hey, Sanu, Ridley, these are good receivers. So is it possible that we saw some improvement from the Steelers' secondary, which enabled the front people, front six or seven, to get home? I realize that the back end is not the strongest end of the Steelers' defense, but against a high-flying Falcon offense, should they be given some credit for helping the pass rush get home, six times and be effective numerous others it's a hand-in-glove situation 412-922-2874 pound 970 the sarcastic sword joins us hello sword
1: hey stan good afternoon uh agree with your analysis on monday about all three phases of the of the game uh the steelers playing one of their best ever I think you put the fear of guard in the Jordan Berry. About <laughs> him. Uh, he sure performed like an NFL punter. It was great to see beautiful weather to do that. I hope it stays uh, towards that standard as the weather cools. Um, as far as the, uh, I did want to say, you know, you could tell the special teams are going uh, doing good by the how big the water gum is and Danny Smith's mob. <laughs> if I could hook wires to that, I could probably light the ton of Charleroi. But Danny, <laughs> as far as your uh, Bud Dupree, I, I mean, played a decent game. But if he has another one of those hand, hands hands to the face. Uh, uh, he's had three of them in, uh, in two games, I believe. Uh, he'd sit out a couple of series if I was the coach, if he does that again. There's no excuse for that, uh, four and five of those. They could be crucial and could cost you a game. Um, as far as your question goes, that's a good one, Stan. I, I think it's going to take another game or two to answer that. Certainly with Atlanta, uh, you know that Ryan's looking for Jones and the job Hayden did To shut Jones down, I'm not going to say it shocked Ryan, but it certainly gave him pause, which is sometimes enough for a decent rush to cause havoc back there.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah, his initial receivers, blank, Hayden, you've got to give him credit. The young guys working together, maybe they're turn, you know, maybe we're we're at at a point they're going to start improving. We'll know in a game or two, but that game Sunday was certainly a big step forward. And uh, that rush, I still believe. You know, I, I looked at the, at the Ravens. You'd see T.J. Uh, Watts out in the midfield trying to cover a, you know, a tight end or a back. I like him up there. I like the attack defense, uh, regardless of the offensive plan. And uh, like you say, it, it's so much of a per-second monitoring of, as to who's doing what. But it all begins with that rush, uh, the line and the linebackers, and they did a heck of a job. And they'll, they'll cause havoc to any any quarterback, I believe. Uh, but it's it's a, a heck of a step forward and, and great to see, and, and we'll know in a game or two if, if they're on to something here.
0: No doubt. And, um, look, any quarterback, uh, they don't like pressure. Um, this guy Sunday, um, his hair gets even redder when people are in his face. Um, and and – um, uh, you know, it's critical because, look, uh, even if the secondary is improving, um, it's not like you have, you know, four pro bowlers back there. Uh, and, and you know, whatever help they can get, um, that makes them better. won't make them good, but it will make them better. Thank you, sir. All right, Stan, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks very much. The
2: Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.
0: The snap. He's back. He's back. He's back. Cameron Hayward on the scene. What a big play for this Steelers defense. We emphasize really big on just making sure the communication on who's coming in, who's coming out, uh, personnels, um, checks, calls, and everything. So everybody was echoing. S. D. Uh, Terrell. Um, everybody in the back end was helping all the linebackers. So it just we just were echoing calls, and everybody was on the same page. It was no no bust. That is Joe Hayden, who did such a great job Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. But uh, his mates back there did pretty well too. We're joined now by Jerry Dulac, who covers the Steelers for the Post Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. And Jerry's brought to us by the Pub at the Tony Dale in Oakdale, three-dollar Bud Light, sixteen-ounce aluminum bottles during all Steelers games, which would be this Sunday afternoon in Cincinnati. How are you, Jer?
2: Yes, Dan, I'm fine. Good afternoon to you. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Uh, In the Post-Gazette, in your very own Post-Gazette today, I found this very interesting where they had the chart of the most sacks they've had in the season, and it was interesting to me that in the five that were posted, only one resulted in a Super Bowl. That was 1974. Uh, Steel Curtain, they beat the Vikings. Um, Do you find that correlation kind of unusual?
2: uh yeah stan uh typically uh, you would um you look at last year you know they're 13 and three and had 52 sacks and that correlation certainly fits with that but then you look at uh how they played after december 4th and what happened in the postseason and then you would sit there and say well is those 56 sacks indicative of a good defense or is a 56 sacks uh you know just a, a kind of skewed statistic um I I think a lot of it, Stan, is, um, you know, you want to close out games with sacks, but you also want to set a tempo with sacks. And if you look at last year, I don't have the exact number. Uh, But at one point in the season, I had charted it late in the season, and and a vast majority of their sacks came in the second half. Now, that's not terribly surprising in that, you know, if teams are behind, they have to throw, and you can maybe kind of take off and, and go get the quarterback. But but there it was an, a, a kind of a disproportionate number of sacks in the first half, and I think it's important for a defense to set the tempo with pressure uh, uh, right off the bat. And so when you when you um, so if you're getting a lot of sacks late, that's nice. But you know I, I like to see a defense that, that comes out, uh, you know, and, and kind of um, it imposes itself, pressures the quarterback, gets him gets him off his spot, gets a, gets him a little antsy. In the, in the pocket right right off the bat. I, and, and so, you know, sometimes it's, it, it just depends when you get those sacks. That You know, I don't think, you, Stan, I don't think any of us would sit there and look at those 56 sacks that led the league and said that the, team, that the Steelers were a scary pass rush team. They don't have that dominant outside linebacker. They don't have that kind of red-letter guy or red jersey guy that an offensive coordinator would be worried about in practice coming off the edge. Oh, Cam Hayward would be the one guy but they just don't have that Von Miller type who sets the tempo, uh, you know, with with their defense uh, when it comes to sacks.
0: No, Dodds, interesting take by you, Jerry, about second half versus first half. Uh, You know, and and sometimes sacks can be, just using that number can be misleading in this regard. One of the things, yeah, they got to uh, Ryan six times, but they also moved him off his spot a number of times. No question. There's no stat for that. Um, other than, you know, what they did uh, in in holding down that defense. And I, uh, two things, I thought that was significant. And while, of course, Watt, AFC Defensive Player of the Week, well-deserved, I thought what what represented to me, uh, while linebackers get the sacks and the headlines in most cases, I thought that in tandem it was the most dominating performance we've seen from Hayward and Tewitt that we've seen in a long time. And even though – they changed the responsibility of the defensive linemen to get more pass rush. To me, those guys still have to set up lanes for the linebackers to get through, and I thought those two guys did that Sunday, and they frankly hadn't been.
2: Well, and I, I think part of it, though, too, and, and I agree with you, Stan, but I think part of it comes from the other end, uh, the other side of the ball. And by that I mean I think the um, – you know, T.J. Watt would continue to do this, and and we, you know, let's face it, Stan. His six sacks have come in two games against the Browns and against the Falcons. So, ideally, you would like to see it be a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. Maybe two, maybe three games with two sacks, or maybe two games with two sacks and one other, uh, two other games with one sack. Just, just to however you get to six. So maybe in time you know, T.J. Watt will be that guy that they need to pay attention to. And maybe that'll be the case uh, this week. But I think what happens is when you're defending the Steelers' front seven, the first guy you want to take care of is Cam Hayward, who always gets double-teamed, and probably the second guy you want to pay attention to, uh, if it's not T.J. Watt or Bud Dupree, and I don't think it is, it's Stephon Tuitt. So I think they are going to get the attention from, uh, from the opposing coordinator. And I think it's, it then frees up those other guys in one-on-one battles, uh, you know, to uh, matchups to win those battles. And and that's certainly what T.J. Watt uh, did the other day. We saw Bud Dupree do it a couple games ago. And um, I, I think that's what it is. I'm not so sure it's more of a scheme by the Steelers as much as it is what the opposing offenses are doing to them, who they're trying to stop and what, what mismatches it creates for, uh, you know, whether it's T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, John Bostick up the middle, whomever's coming up the middle. I think, I think it's just as much of that as anything the Steelers are doing as well.
0: You know, Jerry, I wanted to ask you something else, too, and I, I meant to mention this in my opening segment, which was about this exact topic, and I, there's still more to go on this. Um, it's interesting to me that, you know, they flip-flop sides this year. Um, with Watt and Bud Dupree, and they felt that, okay, we'll put Dupree, who struggled, on the right side so he gets the blind side. And I think he's been slightly better, somewhat better, but isn't it ironic that T.J. Watt is going wild on the side that apparently was holding down Bud Dupree? Explain that to me, will you?
2: Well, I, I you know, <laughs> regardless of what side it, it is, but uh, to your point, I think, I, I, I think the one thing and, and the other, the one thing that they wanted to take more advantage of, I don't know if they're necessarily taken more advantage of, but they knew that this would happen more on that left side as T.J. Watt is a better inside rusher than Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree really hasn't developed it for a big man. I'm a little surprised. Uh, you know, that strong bull rusher, that strong inside move, and T.J. Watt is quicker off the burst on an inside move. And, and that's kind of what they were hoping to get, uh, you know, from – Uh, from the left side at least the quarterback sees him coming but at least at least he's coming quicker to him on an inside move than that big loop that uh, bud dupree takes and so i you know I, i i can't sit here and tell you whether bud dupree's working on inside moves i'm sure that he probably is because he needs to do it and we've seen occasions where he does try to bull rush and like i said for a big man he should be able to do it I think T.J. Watt just does that better on the inside, and that's what they were hoping to capitalize on that side, where at least the quarterback's looking at him. You can get to him quicker on an inside rush.
0: Well, Dupree better work on getting to the quarterback without hands to the face because he's he's leading yeah, the lead pre- in that penalty. I want to ask you about the secondary. Everybody understands that pass defense is a hand-in-glove thing. Pass rush helps the secondary and vice versa. But the thing that struck me about it, and again, with full credit to the pass rush, Hayward with a sack and a half, Bostick with a half, the T.J. Watt with the three, and good pressure all the way around, we've talked a lot about Joe Hayden. And clearly, a quarterback like Ryan's looking for Julio Jones. He couldn't find him. He has to come off, look for somebody else. But it also seems to me, Jerry, a great receiver like Julio Jones, and the job Hayden did on him there were still two, really three, really good, viable pass options for Matt Ryan. That's a good group Atlanta has. It's a good group in Cincinnati. Is the other, Are the other members of the secondary getting better? Are we giving them enough credit because they had a job to do as well?
2: Well, Stan, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the Falcons' core receivers, see, even their tight end, Austin Hooper, uh, you know, I contend from a personnel standpoint, it's better than Kansas City's. I think Kansas City's diversity with their scheme is a little bit better. Um, but, I, you know, when you look at Mohammed Sanu and Calvin Ridley, of course, uh, Julio Jones and then Austin Hooper and, and Devonte Freeman, um, you know, the, he has enough weapons there to, to spread it around. And I was surprised that they didn't have more success with Muhammad Sanu. I was impressed he didn't even target Julio Jones as much in the first half. I don't care how he was covered. Julio Jones might be the best combat receiver in the National Football League, 6'3", 220. Throw the ball up and let him go get it. I, I'm surprised he only has three touchdowns in, in the last 21 games. Uh, I don't quite understand that, uh, but we know all about his production, so he does look for him. But to me, I didn't think he looked for him enough uh, the other day I don't know how much it is, Dan, that they're, they're, they're individually getting better. Maybe, they, maybe they are. But I think what happens, I just think their scheme was a little bit better. Whatever it was that, that Atlanta does, they matched up better. Um, I, I think it, it starts. It starts with Joe Hayden um, being able, be, be, them being able to trust him to stay with Julio Jones. That's the big key. Them being able to trust him. Um, but I, I think it was. Uh, I think it was the overall scheme. Um, I don't know that, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think. I think, obviously, I think that was Terrell Edmonds' best game as well, Yeah, Uh, Stan. You know, they've had to throw him to the fire. This is not what they wanted to do. They were hoping Morgan Burnett would be able to be on the field, and he just hasn't been. He aggravated that injury last Wednesday in practice at the beginning, and then he sat down and missed the game again. I'm going to imagine he'll probably miss this week as well. So it's been tough for them just to throw Terrell Edmonds in there but I think he was targeted six times. He allowed four catches, but for like 15 or 18 yards standpoint being, he kept the guy in front of him and got him on the ground. Uh, so I think each game he's getting a little bit better. Um, but I, I think it was more of what they were able to do schematically that was effective uh, against the Falcons, maybe as opposed to individually. And that's not to take anything away from guys who, who played uh, very well, like Terrell Edmonds.
0: Uh, would you agree? Uh, I totally concur about Edmonds. Uh, I made the comment on the postgame show. The idea was to bring in Morgan Burnett. That would help replacing Mike Mitchell. But sort of Edmonds, as they've done in the past, serve an apprenticeship. But it also seems to me that um, with with Burnett being hurt as much as he has been, that that apprenticeship is over. Yeah, To me, even if Burnett comes back healthy, I think Terrell Edmonds is going to be your starting strong safety from this point forward.
2: Well, and, and I thought all along that as the season, uh, uh, you know, morphed along, that 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 would eventually happen. Um, you know, unless they think a guy can't play, they bring their number one picks in. It's been proven the last couple three years for sure. They bring them in, and and they usually start some point from midseason on. That's just the way they view it. Their number one pick, their number two picks, if they think they can play. And so I expected that to happen, but but certainly. Uh, and not right now, they would still like to have Morgan Burnett because they want him to play that linebacker role. And that's, that's what's tough on Terrell Edmonds when, when you know Morgan Burnett is not there and if he has to play that role. The point being, it's not that he can't handle the role. It's just they don't want to have to give him too much, put too much on his plate while he's a rookie trying to figure this all out. And that's, that's where they miss Morgan Burnett playing that linebacker role.
0: You know, Jerry, we talked about um, you know the the, the, the success um, that the Steelers had with you know that defensive strategy with using sorry Morgan Burnett um, to uh, shadow Julio Jones. Uh, given the parallel, perhaps between Julio Jones and A.J. Green, um, and I realize they haven't practiced uh, until today. Um, is there any reason to think <clears throat> with those two similarities that they might do the same thing against the Bengals? Um, you know, They don't have Eifert, but they do have Tyler Boyd. They do have John Ross. I mean, do you think that it's reasonable to think we'll see the same kind of defensive strategy involved?
2: I don't I think don't there's any question. Uh, you look back at Joe Hayden's personal history with the Browns. You look back to last year's game uh, against the Bengals. He, he followed uh, A.J. Green predominantly. In that game, uh, Joe Hayden is. When you look at the matchups over the years, and I think they probably met five times because there was a couple years where AJ Green was hurt and Joe Hayden was hurt, and they didn't face each other when Joe was in Cleveland. Uh, but I think they played; they faced each other five times, and for the most part, Joe has gotten the best of the matchups, and, and so uh, including last year. So I would think I think AJ Green caught a touchdown stand, as I recall, it was negated by a penalty. And that, uh, you know, that came over Joe Hayden, but all in all, I think Joe got the best of them again. So yes, I fully expect them to, uh, to do the same thing uh, to AJ this week.
0: Last thing for you, Jerry, this a Antonio Brown story. Um, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you'll agree with me. You're around a much more, um, uh, despite all the things that he's done, excluding this thing, uh, which is sort of away from football, if you will. Um, whatever he is, and you did a show with him. Uh, you know, he generally, it he appeared to me in the times that I've dealt with him, you know, kind of a jovial kind of guy, smile on his face all the time. But he came back to camp this year um, angry, uh, right. sullen uh, almost. And and I'm wondering now that we see this particular issue, is it possible, and he snapped at, your, at Ed Bouchette, uh, the media in general, all those kinds of things, and I'm wondering if this thing—he's uh, been—he's known about it for quite some time. If this hasn't changed his demeanor, which generally is kind of sunny.
2: Stan, I will tell you this: that the Steelers are very much aware and of the opinion that something is different about Antonio Brown this year. It has been told to me back in the preseason, um, and and. and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to quantify what it is. Maybe it was that, although knowing Antonio Brown, you know, for the same reason you throw furniture at the what, – what floor was it? 14th floor. Fourteenth. For the same reason you feel entitled to throw furniture off a balcony is the same reason you would then dismiss it as though it was no big deal. So I can't believe that that incident has been haunting Antonio Brown in his, in his mindset and, and causing him to act the way he's been acting. But whatever the case may be, you know, his, his comments in the spring about, you know, how he's just not free and how the media won't leave him alone when he's out there priming and parading himself on, on social media all the time. Um, you know, just it's just been, it's been different behavior for Antonio Brown. And you've heard me say, Stan, from having done the show with him, I like Antonio Brown. But even now, when I see him, I, I and I, I mean, I still go up and say hello to him, and you know, he only talks to the media on Friday. But even now, I just, I just noticed, and I, I don't take it personally, but I just noticed how he's a little bit more, uh, um, uh, a little bit more distant, and, and I, and I think he has, I, I think he's become, you know, Surly's a strong word. I don't think he's that. He doesn't snap at people. But but there's no question his attitude something's different about him and the Steelers have certainly noticed.
0: All right, Jar, great stuff. <clears throat> that's that's I mean the pieces fall into place as much as they can with him. Uh, but it, it certainly seemed like um, that could be perhaps a reason, if not the reason, why. Thank you, Jar. Appreciate it. I know you guys, uh, uh, your traveling troop will be driving to Cincinnati. <laughs> Are you doing that Facebook <laughs> thing again? You know, Sam. <clears throat> We're not doing it this year. Oh, no. Uh, well,
2: here's why. Uh, because, very simply, Stan, we don't have a sponsor. So if somebody oh. wants to sponsor us, uh, as they say, and you know what is entailed with sponsoring, just like my segment with you, um, then, you know, I think we'd be glad to do it again. And there hasn't been a big public outcry, where's Ed <laughs> yeah. and Jerry and Jean and Ray, but uh, maybe, hey. Maybe there will be, and maybe we'll resurrect it. Who knows?
0: Well, anybody who's listening wants to sponsor the Facebook, the (laughs) Traveling traveling Wilberries. That was a group. I think George Harrison was in that. Um, I I don't know if I can – my life is falling apart. Um, No newspaper on Tuesdays and Saturdays and no Facebook on Sunday. I know. It's terrible, isn't it, Stan? You're ruining my life. Absolutely. You've
2: become deprived.
0: I am, and depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thanks,
2: Jer. All right, Stan, good chat with you.
0: All right, Jerry Dulack of the Post Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Our pregame show begins at 11 a.m. Um, by the way, Jerry brought to us by the pub at the Tony Dale in Oakdale. $3 Bud Light 16 ounce aluminum bottles during all Steelers games.
2: The Saverin on Steelers podcast
0: from Steelers Nation Radio. Antonio Brown. I want to preface my remarks by saying that I don't condone. A lot of the on-field antics, a lot of the locker room stuff, certainly the Facebook post after the Kansas City playoff win, I don't condone that. And if true, if the allegations are true with this incident with the f- throwing the furniture off a balcony, who does that? Who does that? This guy is troubled. And he has anger management issues. And the excuse for him has always been when he does things like that, well, he's a competitor, he just wants to win. Well, here's the difference now. He wasn't playing a football game when he allegedly smashed up 80, whatever it was, the damage he did in that condo and threw furniture out the window, allegedly. That has nothing to do with being a competitor. I get mad sometimes, too, but I don't throw through chairs through windows. So that bogus excuse, well, he's a competitor. They're all competitors, as I've said many, 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 many many times before. He's got issues. But here's my philosophy, just mine to each their own. I don't have any agendas against certain players. My job, I believe, at least the way I look at it, is to offer analysis, commentary, opinion on how a player performs and, bigger picture, how the team performs. That's my job. That doesn't mean I condone the things that some players do, but to me that's out of the realm of my interest unless, here's the big unless, the big unless it affects the team and the way it plays. then I feel like that was in, within the confines of what I'm supposed to be doing. I came out strongly against the Facebook post because I thought it would have a negative effect on the team. Whether it did or not, at the time I thought that his actions there had a negative effect. When he bashed the Gatorade cooler, that didn't bother me a bit. When he showed up Landry Jones on the field, or anybody for that matter, then I think that does affect the team, and that's when I comment. This latest thing with the apartment, condo in Miami, I don't condone it. Of course not. Who would? Thank goodness nobody was hurt, especially the toddler. Can you imagine that? And Brown's got four kids himself. But I just didn't feel like, and no one said anything to me about it, I just didn't feel like this is a football-related issue. If a player gets caught for running a red light, do I feel the need to make a whole segment out of that? Or gets a parking ticket? Or is late paying their taxes? Or in some cases, don't pay their taxes at all, starting at the top, if you know what I mean. This does not fall within the realm of what I'm supposed to do, or at least my perception of what it is I'm supposed to be doing. And while I do think Antonio Brown has issues, for someone to display their anger like that, no matter what the issue was, is troubling. But unless there's some kind of a blowback in the locker room, I think that's outside my responsibility or what you want from me. Now, if it affects Antonio Brown's play... Then I think it's fair game. If it affects his personality, which as you heard both Jerry Dulac and I agree that it has, uh, I really don't care how he deals with the media. I mean I don't, I wouldn't if I were Ed Bouchette, I would not be appreciate being called a racist. Just a ridiculous charge to begin with. But if Antonio Brown wants to stand up the media, that's fine. People think that we are offended by that. and We're not. Okay. There's other people I'll talk to. And players seem to think that our jobs are dependent upon them talking to us. Now, I'm not a beat writer, but if no player on any team in this town, wouldn't talk to me, I would still have my jobs. Plural. So if he's more dour with the media, if he's unhappy, as long as he's catching balls or not catching balls, that's what I'm concerned about. Not rooting for or against him, for or against the team, but my job is to see how that affects the team. And individuals, based on their performance, how collectively that affects the team. So I don't go there. Chris says he has a serious throat. Does Antonio Brown have the onset of CTE? His behavior is not trending in the right direction. He's getting more combative and more erratic. I'm not being flippant. He's heading towards his own 30 for 30. It's it's a reasonable suggestion. I don't know. I don't know. Again, the flamboyant clothes, the flamboyant way to enter training camp. The outfield onburst, this in particular would be more concerning if you were concerned about Antonio Brown the individual, not the football player. And I don't want to see anything bad happen to the guy. But I'm only or I should say primarily concerned with how it affects the team. I, I'm not going to go on rant and rave about it. There are some with agendas they don't, you know, don't like a certain guy no matter what he does, this adds to it. I mean, it's not a positive for Antonio Brown. And it's not that I shy away from it or afraid of dealing with it, but unless it reaches a certain level and has a an direct impact on the team that I'm covering and reporting on and analyzing, doesn't matter to me. That's just how I see it.